This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Fiercely whipping her red locks around and sometimes shooting daggers out of her eyes between smiles, Brenna Crowley is a belly dance artist in New York City who is known for her commanding stage presence, her intensity, and one-of-a-kind performances. Spoiler alert, Brenna knows how to moonwalk. And she does it in her dance shows. She has been an instructor for over a decade and taught at Serena Studios, Solstice Studio, Belly Queen, and Ailey Extension. Brenna has studied with some of the best instructors in the belly dance arena, and we will talk more about that after we dive on in. First, do you have a danceable ritual that you would like to share? Danceable ritual. I've been doing a lot of neuroplasticity exercises, and that's something that was introduced to me through Mira Betts, who is brilliant. Mira Betts is a treasure. We don't deserve her. Take from her, please. Mira's been delving into the study of neuroplasticity, which is your brain forming new connections and pathways through repetitive movement, basically calming down your fight or flight response. And she always pushes work smarter, not harder. So you don't necessarily have to drill a particular movement for two hours straight. You can break things down into small chunks and keep doing it. And eventually, your brain learns, oh, this thing they keep doing, they want me to do it. So I'm going to learn it, form a neural pathway, then we'll keep it in here. So you can essentially learn to do things a lot faster through workshops at Mira and things like that. Me and my other classmates discovered certain exercises that work really well with us that not just increase body mobility and range of motion big time, but also is calming for the mind. And I started doing this before performances maybe a year or two ago. Even though I've been performing since 2007, I still get very nervous before performing. And doing these exercises calms me down. They feel much more at ease going on stage or before teaching or making a speech, which is hard to do sometimes. Backstage, there's only so much space, whether we are graced with an actual backstage room or we're in a hallway or we're next to a freezer. I always try before a show specifically to find a little place away from everybody. And I start doing these neuroplasticity exercises. And you can always see who studied with Mira because you'll see people do these really weird things like they're hopping up and down with their head tilted over to a side or pointing your legs in different directions and leaning over and then you have a wrap around your arm. Or one that's good for me is I'll focus on one point and constantly walk into figure eight while staring at one point over and over again. And people look at me like I'm absolutely out of my mind, but I feel great and I feel ready to go. Neuroplasticity exercises. Neuroplasticity, yes. Go study with Mary. I heard about neuroplasticity, but not so much in terms of bringing it into dance, let alone the belly dance scene. And it's been so beneficial because I have some old injuries and this is really helping me. If I'm drilling a complicated 
associated isolation pattern. Doing certain neuroplastic exercises beforehand helps my body and my brain learn and retain it much faster than drilling it over and over again, like in a studio. We kid around when we study from her, we're like, it's like magic. This is witchcraft. What is this? But it's absolutely amazing. And you can see it happen on other people. You don't believe it until you actually see it. You see someone to struggle with a vertical figure eight. One side is stronger than the other. And they'll do a couple of these different exercises. And all of a sudden, it's so big and ooey gooey. And it's like they had all this extra mileage in their hips that they didn't even know they had. It's really amazing stuff. I highly recommend it. In terms of ritual, that's what I've been doing. That's a good one, Brenna. I'm drinking my water. I gotta take a look. Yeah, drink your water. Great. You are an entertainer that entertainers love to watch. I was talking to Joaquin Colon a couple years ago, and he's this fabulous drummer who's toured with Rocky Danzinger. So he was telling me about a Michael Jackson song that you performed to at a party. The party was actually for Casey Bond's birthday, I believe. Oh, it was another drummer who's been featured on the show. Oh, that party. And I could just see Joaquin light up when he was talking about your performance, how entertaining it was and how innovative it was, how exciting it was. I mean, you're wrapping your arms in LED lights sometimes and dancing on chairs and moonwalking and shaking your cheeks, like your face cheeks, in addition to your butt cheeks. You're just doing these unexpected things in your performances, which I think makes it really exciting. And I remember watching you perform years ago, and I think you had clenched fists you were doing a piece where you would, and I hadn't seen that before in a belly dance kind of situation. What inspires you to keep creating unique experiences for your audiences? I'm very expressive with gestures and things like that. And maybe it's because I'm from Brooklyn and I get really excited. It's like, I want to punch the air. And that particular performance that Joaquin's talking about, that was Casey Bond. She had requested that of me. She's like, can you do like a lip sync to Michael Jackson? And I'm like, how am I going to do that? And that was actually the first time one of my alter egos, my drag king alter ego named Bruno Carmine, because that show was supposed to be all male dancers. And I was a surprise. It was all male dancers and musicians. And I came up and I'm better at it now, but I did my rudimentary drag king makeup. I did a little mustache and a goatee and I dressed up and I came out lip syncing to Careless Whisper to uh, Michael Jackson, The Way You Make Me Feel. And then I found a Egyptian mix of Beat It. But that was my first Bruno performance ever where I had women who I had looked up to like legends in our community saying they wanted to take off their underwear and throw it at me. You did a good job. <laughs> I did my job. But I mean, I'm inspired by everything. I'm always observing and absorbing information from everywhere, not just things through our own belly dance scene and fusion scene. I'm looking at dance all the time, looking at other artwork through paint and music, all, all these different mediums. I'm constantly inspired by everything's around me. Obviously, my own life experiences, nature, maybe the fist stuff comes from I got to be careful. I almost said the fist thing comes from, but I think that comes from a big fan of comic books and video game characters. So like the superhero poses, always love that. In more recent years, I've been really inspired by dance challenges that you see a lot on social media. I did a lot of the 30 day ones at first because I was like, I don't think I can do it. 365, that's a lot. Because you don't realize how much work it is to post every single day and to make content for every single day until you start doing it. And you're like, wow, this is a job in itself. But I started doing these 30 day challenges and giving myself prompts. And it was the first time I was really paying attention to myself and committing to do something creative every day. And I started to just look around in the apartment. It's why the LED light thing started. I have a decoration in a glass 
vase and I put it down on the floor and I shut all the lights off and I just danced around it with my feet. So it was just my feet around the light and I got a lot of feedback from that. And that piece ended up becoming a solo a year later for something else. So I think just trying to find something interesting, not just that I thought that people would find interesting, but also something for me and how creative can I be with things I literally had on hand around me. It led to a lot of really interesting discoveries for me that did result in a few of those ideas that I did from these challenges becoming a future work later on, whether it was a solo piece or it was a group piece. Just experimenting with everyday things. I feel like my childhood imagination game strong. You know, I never <laughs> deny my imagination. I tend to go with my gut. It doesn't matter how silly or weird it might be. I'm just going to go with it. And it either works or it doesn't. And the worst thing that'll happen is that it doesn't work. But sometimes the real good discoveries are real good. And I end up being very surprised. Like, wow, that challenge idea, that prompt turned out really pretty freaking cool. Nice. I did my first couple of an I am a dancer challenge with Eshe Yildiz. I don't know if you know Eshe, she's up in Canada. So one of them was to dance blindfolded. So yesterday I put myself in a hallway. This is a safe place. I can't step on anything. I just bounce off the walls and I did it. I was like, this is crazy. Thank you, Eshe, for creating this. Like what you're saying, because you just start to loosen up or you just see the potential of everyday objects and exactly. more everyday situations to become something more. Exactly. When you have a sense of play about something, the judgment drops. Like when you're relaxed and you have a sense of play, you just go for it. There's no judgment. You're not freaking out about anything. You play for the sake of play. And that's where a lot of really great discovery can happen because you're not worried about what other people are going to say because you're just going for it. And, you know, luckily we're at a time where most of us have at least access to some sort of device where you can capture it and you keep recording yourself and you can just see what interesting things might happen. And through social media, which is a double-edged sword, you can get some really great encouragement from it to do something. And, you know, you have your jerks also. Yeah, but it's a great tool as well. That's what I really love about the challenges is it's great self-discovery and experimentation. And I love seeing things that are really kind of unattractive, but I love seeing it in these challenges, something that's just ugly, you know? I love the weird, freaky, ugly. I love it. I love it. Yeah. This interview was recorded in October of 2020. Hopefully... The COVID era is largely behind us, but who knows? Do you think that COVID will have a long-term effect on New York City's entertainment industry and culture? I hope not, but the reality is probably. Just look at Broadway. I mean, Broadway. They just announced Broadway is now closed up until May. Broadway is the performers, the musicians, the people that work on stage, the makeup artists, the costuming, the staff, everyone who works in the theaters, the people that work in promotion, all of that. And it's so heartbreaking. I have friends, not just dancers, aerialists, singers, you know, other sorts of performers. They had dreams of opening up a studio in New York City and they had it and they've had to close it down. They try with fundraisers and rent in New York City is ridiculous. Places are closing down anyway because of how expensive it is to be here and to live here and to run a business. So it was really heartbreaking for a lot of people that I know that finally got that opportunity to get a studio to start running their business. They had it for a little while or they just got it and then the pandemic happened and it's like, oh my God. And a lot of them had to close up and they went back to their 
home state if they weren't from here or they go to another state to try to start somewhere else where it's more financially feasible for them. And it's been really heartbreaking. I'm not just seeing it in New York City, I'm seeing it all over the country. Studios that were open for years that have had to shut down. And I'm thankful for the digital forum and the spaces that we have. Some people were already teaching online before all this stuff happened and now we have everybody doing that and I am thankful for that. I count my blessings every day for my day job that I've been able to still have my day job and I have decent security with this job and I have been fortunate enough to have the opportunity also to keep teaching during this time under Belly Queen School and that's provided a sense of normalcy for me. My students have been a lifeline for me during this time. They they really have because there's a lot of times I have a hard time creating anything for myself but for them I go the extra 10 miles for them. But it's scary. The fear is real. The reality is tough for many artists who are not eligible for assistance during this time. But I have a hope because I've seen it time and time again. I'm born and raised here in Brooklyn. I've lived, been educated, worked in New York my entire life. And we have a grit and resilience in our veins. I mean, After 9-11, I remember a week after that happened, people already cursing at each other in the middle of the street again. Just just had this horrible thing happen and already was like, eh, screw you. You know, they're already back to cussing each other out. So I'm like, okay, we're back. It's all right. You know, we could do this. Artists here in New York, not just here in New York, but everywhere, I've already been seeing it. We're already adapting to the situation. We're reinventing. We have a lot of material to talk about. We have lots, and it's not holding us back. I mean, artists are going to art. Nothing is going to stop artists from arting anywhere. And maybe I'm biased because I'm from here, but there's something about New York City that it's unlike anywhere else. There's that hackneyed expression, if you can make it here, you can make it everywhere. But I definitely believe that to be true. I do believe we will come out of this and like I said, we'll have a lot of material to work with. We're already kind of going through it now, but we're going to come out of this. My hope is that we'll have venues to go back to. This is done. There's a lot of venues that we've grown very fond of and we love working with. And we just hope they're still around. I mean, listen, we'll make a stage where we have to make a stage. We were already losing venues and this is not a great thing for that. Will it affect us? Yes. Are we going to make great art out of it? Oh, hell yeah. I can't believe Broadway is going to be closed for over a year. Like when you said May, I was like, it's unfathomable. Because originally I think it was supposed to be until the end of this year. And then a couple of days ago, they made the announcement that it's being extended to May 2021. Wow. I can't even think about the stress of being in that situation. You know, I can't even, it's horrible. I mean, this pandemic, people have been pushing out these dance films. I'm like, I didn't know you were all independent filmmakers. Like they've been using New York as the stage, whether it's Coney Island, the beach, Central Park, Prospect Park, whatever block that you live on, they're still making the art. And the city has become our stage now. Our apartments have become the stage. Our stairwells, our basements, our attics, our roofs. Like I said, artists are going to art. We got something to say. We got to exercise it. We got to get it out. And we find a way. I sound like Jeff Goldblum. Life, it finds a way. You just gave me chills down to my toes. Now, just saying that our apartments, our stairwells, our rooftops are the stage. Oh, my God. God, but it's, it's kind of limited how we've been thinking about entertainment in some ways. I mean, I was obviously limited by technology, but at no. the same time, it's whoa. Yeah, technology, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. There's negative things to it. Like when you fall into that spiral of judgment and worrying about what people think of you and what you look like and what your age is and your color and all this stuff. But at the same time, you have a stage, you have a chance to put your work out there. How often have I done something or anyone done something that's from my 
my living room. And even if it's like 25 views, there weren't 25 people in my apartment, but <laughs> I'm glad for that. I have the potential to reach so much more. And there's so many other dance forms that have been utilizing the internet and social media as way to get their work out. And they have professional filmmakers and they have this equipment, you know, this happens a lot in the hip hop scene. And there's no reason why our dance scene can't also be represented in that same light. We're good enough. We have stuff to say as well. This art form in all of its stylings and all of its variations from the people of origin to the fusion artists, we all have things to say. And the dance is damn well awesome and great enough to have representation, to be getting the amount of views that everything else does, whether it's on TikTok or not. Oh my goodness. Cool, who's also in Belly Queen. Yeah. I was listening to the interview that she did on Yana's Belly Dance podcast. And she said with the fusion artists, it just brought up when you were talking about fusion artists just now that I never realized that fusion artists never really had a place. Like the shows that fusion artists are in are put on by fusion artists. You know, you don't go dance in a Lebanese restaurant, you know, like a cabaret. <laughs> never made that distinction before I heard her saying that today. Well, I started off with American Cabaret. And if they know me from that, they know I can dance. Turkish style. They know I could do that. And I end up being called as, oh, you're going to be the different one. I'd be the one to spice things up. And sometimes I actually just want to do an American Cabaret style show. And they're like, no, we want you to do lip sync <laughs> as, you know, Michael Jackson as a man, which I'm like totally fine with that too. I have fun. Awesome. You show up in Bedlam and people are like, what are you doing? What was it like to study with the legendary Serena Wilson? Oh, Serena Wilson. I miss her. She's been gone since June 2007. I started off in a gym in downtown Brooklyn. I was there for six months and my first belly dance teacher was Diamond Salome, who used to teach at Serena Studios. And what got me in there was the music. Anything with heavy drums, I'm there. I don't care where it is. If there's a block party, someone's playing drums, I'll, I'll find you. I will go find it and dance. But I Googled belly dance classes in New York City and I had seen Serena Studios everywhere. At the time, it was like all of the teachers in New York City either started with Serena, were studying with her now, or was at the tail end of their training. So I figured, why not go to the source? I keep seeing this name, Serena Wilson. Because at that time, I didn't know much about belly dance. I didn't even know what a hip scarf was. I had a Google belly dance hip thing. I was like, belly hip, oh, hip scarf. That makes sense. And I ended up deciding after getting a Belly Dance Superstars DVD that I was like, oh, I need to do this for the rest of my life. This is beautiful. This is amazing. There's so many different styles here. Like, what is this? I need to learn more. And I went into Serena Studios and my main teacher as a beginner was Kelly McKinnon. She's amazing. I love her. And if she hears me talking about her in a positive light, she blushes and I make her spit out drinks often. And Serena was teaching advanced classes. She had like advanced beginner classes. And I figured when I started as a baby beginner, I would never get a chance to learn from her. And then there was a day that Kelly called out sick and Serena was teaching teaching a basic beginner belly dance class. And I think it was my fifth class there ever. And Serena Wilson comes in and I'm feeling frozen because her reputation precedes her. And I'm like, this is a legend. This is a living legend coming in here. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God. And I still can hear her giggles. She had such cute girlish giggle. And after a while, I started to take classes from Serena Wilson as well. 
because I became dedicated to the dance and I was going there as much as I could about three or four times a week, two hours at a time. Serena offered me a scholarship in terms of being a staff person, you know, to sign people in. So when I became a staff person, I got to also be there for the classes that were advanced professional. Like I got to sign people in. I wasn't anywhere ready to take that class, but I got to watch it. And I got to watch Serena teach those classes. And the dancers that were in that room at that advanced professional level were like superstars in New York City. And a lot of them are still going strong now and so amazing performers and teachers in their own right. And I would just watch these mega gorgeous dance stars totally get shot down with Serena when she was correcting them because she meant business. When she said she didn't like something, she told you and she didn't pull back. I was fortunate to have the year and a half of taking her classes, but it was always unnerving because I would dance and she always looked through you and I felt like she has x-rays. She can see through my skeleton. She can see down to my bones how crappy I am. I remember there was one girl who couldn't get a particular travel step right and I think because her arms were a little messy. She kept saying, you look like one of my hamsters. And I'm like, oh my God. We're always trying to emulate her. And there's a lot of things that she taught me that I still perform and carry to this day. Like the way she would do shoulder shimmies or shoulder movements. We were just imitating her because she was doing it. But you know, she was 73 when she passed. Her shoulders were starting to turn forward a little bit because her spine was starting to bend forward a little bit. So her shoulder shimmies were kind of rounding over and down a little bit. And we started doing that. And it it wasn't because she was doing it on purpose. It was because that's how her body was at that time. But I noticed that to this day, I still do shoulder shimmies in that way because her body had changed in that way. And I still will do shoulder shimmies sometimes with that slight difference that I'm rounding my shoulders over because that's how her posture was at the time. And I do regret that she never got to see me debut. She offered it to me. She gave me the opportunity, but she died before. I remember that very explicitly. I was working the desk and she started to say, Brenna, you're getting really, really good. And I'm like about to crap my pants that she said. And she's like, I want to put you in the next show. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because there was one coming up. She's like, I'm going to put you in this set. So I was like, oh my God, yes. And that was on a Friday. And I remember going home and I was so excited. And I was like freaking out. I'm like, Serena Wilson thinks I'm getting good. She thinks I'm getting good. And then that Sunday she passed. Wow. And I went from feeling so high to absolutely crashing. And I didn't even care at that point for debuting. I was so upset that she had passed. And I remember my teachers at that time, Kelly McKinnon, uh, Zenaida, Layla Mary, I had told them the story because they were trying to do another one of our Serena Studios Hoflas, do the first one after she passed away. They're like, we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep it going. I remember telling them the story and they're like, well, you're going to be in it. She gave you the blessing. You're going in. I hope to this day that she's proud of me. You know, that's the one thing I miss that I got to spend a year and a half with her, but she gave me the blessing to perform. But I guess that's something that it's nothing you can control. But I do hope that she she's looking at me from the other side and is least happy with what I'm doing. I hope, or hope she's like, yeah, oh, that's a weird one. And when I started doing Thriller, I'm like, I'm hoping she wasn't like, what is this person doing zombie dances in my studio? It's cool how you captured a life stage of her body with the shoulder rolls. What I appreciate about her so much too is that she was a big proponent of always telling your own story and dancing with your own voice. She would always say, and this was like the philosophy of the studio, go and take from as many teachers as you can from this studio, from any studio, see the moves that you 
like, imitate them, but then make them your own. Go and tell your own story. Each movement is like a letter of the alphabet that become little words, that become little sentences, but then you have to tell your own story. She was always pushing to say, go and learn from whoever it is so you can find yourself. Some teachers aren't happy when you go and you learn from somebody else. Mm. Some teachers can get possessive and they don't want you to learn or study or dance with other people. But I never had that experience with Serena Wilson or at Serena Studios. They were always saying, you have to do what you have to do so you can tell your own story and be your own dancer, whether that's here or somewhere else. And that's something that I've always been really appreciative for at my formative stages that I had that safe space to not have anxiety from anything like that. And I'm so grateful that we're in a dance form that is so focused on self-expression. Oh, yes. Sometimes I forget how many dance forms are not about that, you know? That's part of why we're here, right? Now it's time for some music. Danceable song. Is there a danceable song you want to share? So there's a song I've been listening to. Merge Dance Festival happened, the virtual dance event that... Carolina Lux, Serena Spears, Michelle Sorensen, and Kelly Lee co-produced online. And one of the workshops was popping. And the teacher was this guy, AJ Megaman. And he did this song. It's kind of like this funk song called So Good by Tuxedo. And I can't help but smile and just dance to it. So if I'm feeling like a little down lately, I've been just putting that song on and just feeling good because the song is so good I can't help it so good by tuxedo it just sounds good it feels good it's one of those feel good songs that your body starts bopping to it like you can't help it cool I found it on Spotify so it'll be in the belly dance body and soul playlist have it in there great and you just like to bop to it oh no it's also something that I'm considering to be a performance piece at some point very good tell me the name of that teacher that used it AJ what AJ Mega Man it's so awesome AJ Mega Man if only my name was Alicia Free Mega Man oh that's that's his birth name but oh maybe (laughs) AJ Mega Man he's awesome I saw a recent video of your Belly Queen student group that signed up for a virtual performance course and they were performing your choreography to a smoky version of I Put a Spell on You not the Natasha Ellis version but a different one and you're all wearing long gloves and cocktail dresses and your students just all looked like they felt sexy yeah it was a student group we had a performance course for belly queen's first virtual hafla and one of the students sandra murray she had requested the song it was nina simone's cover nina simone okay i originally was going to do something different i wanted to do an 80s aerobics thing and my (laughs) students looked at me they're like we're not doing that for five weeks and they had requested that song as part of my fierce fusion class where i do one minute choreographies every week and they fell in love with that and they demanded they're like we want this we want this because normally i wouldn't have picked a song like that for a performance course and they did it most of the women in that group were over 30 over 40 over 50 over 60 over 70 and they kicked ass it was part my choreography and part their improvisation they knocked us all out it was absolutely amazing and what i love about this art form is women who are older have stage time and there's no aging out on that and we need to still continue to push that forward just because someone's getting older doesn't mean your time is up on that stage because a lot of those ladies in that group that were 70 and over they have presence that you could only wish to attain in your life (laughs) they have attitude they have sass that you could only pray one day you get a quarter of so what i loved about that whole experience was that it was celebrating all of these women of all different ages i absolutely loved it yeah the video was fabulous so it was a five-week course that got you there you took them on this journey to this performance online there was a lot of anxiety 
Very cool. And you belly dance to a lot of totally non-belly dance music, and you kill it every time when you do that. Every time that I've ever seen videos and hearing about it secondhand. Is there any music genre that you think is just not possible to belly dance? If you train your body, there's really not much. I mean, maybe there's some weird choices. Like, I don't know if I would dance to Gregorian chant. But I would say there's definitely certain things that not so much that you can't, but maybe more like you shouldn't. Like I would say anything that has discriminatory lyrics or hate speech or hate rhetoric or is just hateful, you shouldn't do that. And the same thing goes with music that's sacred or religious to a culture and a people that you do not belong from. You should just not do that. Stay away from stuff like that out of respect. I mean, there's certain musical genres that I personally don't care for because I just don't like that genre of music that I just wouldn't do it because I often get compliment or sometimes the backhanded compliment. Oh, is there any music that you can? And I said, well, even kidding around, I've done Zydeco, done polka, done Irish music, done, you know, maybe for performance, I wouldn't do that. But if the music makes sense with the character that you're doing, if you're doing a character piece, then do it. I mean, I started off making connections with non-belly dance music, you want to call it making connections with how it sounded to Middle Eastern rhythms. My formative training was improvisational dance to live bands, like live Middle Eastern music. My initial performance experience is with Middle Eastern rhythms. And when I started to experiment, like through taking fusion teachers and things like that of other music, I would be like, please don't stop the music. That sounds like Saidi a little bit. I think I can do this. I can't. Because hearing similarities of Middle Eastern rhythms in pop music and other music. And also, I don't perform to it often, but I love dancing to rock music. Like, there's just something about belly dancing to electric guitar solos, which is just heavenly. Like, you can really get a lot of emotion and feel out of it. And there's certain music that pairs. I think rock and hip hop is very good, you know, with belly dance. But yeah, that's how I started. I started making connections between, oh, this sounds like this sort of rhythm and this sounds like this sort of rhythm. And and I started taking what I had learned dancing to those Middle Eastern rhythms, bringing them into pop music. And then as years went on, I started cross-training in other dance forms and I started fusing more intelligently with my base of belly dance music. Then I got to become more expressive and then I definitely got less fearful of trying out different types of music because I was feeling more confident because I had been cross-training. There are some times when I'm not going to lie, I have a challenge. I'm like, where's the belly dance going to fit in this? I don't know. I would say maybe the most challenging thing for me is I got commissioned to do it one time. Is to dance to like anthem songs like don't stop believing living on a prayer stuff like that i've been asked to perform when you just want to scream those out loud and just jump up and down like those maybe i find a little bit difficult to dance to because you just want to jump up and down with your friends and scream and shout out the lyrics until you lose your voice but the only reason i know that is that i got commissioned to dance to that and i was having a really hard time with that so i ended up just doing hip rolls the whole time and singing the song. Exactly. You put your mind to it. If there's music you really, really love and you're respecting people and cultures with it, then you put the work to it. There's really not much that you really can't do, honestly. Mm-hmm. 
Tell us about old wave Vogue and street jazz. I don't know anything about both of them. Full disclosure, I am not an expert in any of this. I am a student still of this, and I am not a member of the ballroom scene or community. So like the full disclosure with that. Old wave Vogue, I've been learning this for three years now with my primary teacher, Cesar Valentino. He's a teacher at LA Extension. And old wave Vogue started off in the 80s and also referred to as pop, dip, and spin. It's the originating voguing style, which was the foundation for the subsequent voguing styles that came after it called New Way and Vogue Femme. And this is a dance where it was created by the Black and Latino gay and trans community. It was a place, an outlet for them and a safe haven for them to feel that they could celebrate themselves. There was an article online called A Brief History of Voguing, and the author is, I hope I'm saying the name right, a Sion Wold Michael, who is the writer-editor for the Office of Curatorial Affairs for the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. I feel like they sum this up pretty well with Vogue in general. Vogue offers a sense of identity, belonging, and dignity in a world that does not fully value their lives. This dance is part of ballroom culture. This is very much a general definition of it, but a lot of gay and trans, Black and Latino, not just ostracized by society, which is still happening to this day. The alarming rates of violence, especially against Black trans women, is abhorrent. We still got to keep bringing attention to this. Maybe it's a little bit different now, but especially years ago, not just being ostracized by society, but being ostracized by their own families, being kicked out, having nowhere to go, out on the streets, the AIDS epidemic, rampaging back at that time, so many of the pioneers of the art form and of ballroom culture had passed away during that time. My teacher, Caesar talks about this. He's lived this. He's been voguing since 1983. And this dance is a dance of resistance. It's a dance of survival. This was a place where that community can come together and celebrate who they were authentically and to celebrate who they were. Caesar often says that voguing is an expression of self-appreciation, that this is a place that they could come and dance and they were doing these competitions to win prizes and trophies from a panel of judges. I think back then you can get a zero to 10 and nowadays you get a 10 or you're chopped. Like you either you get it or you don't. But it was a place for them to come together and to celebrate who they were. Because otherwise out on the streets, they're getting beat up, they're getting killed, getting arrested. They had their own families, what they called houses. Because people say, you know, a house of this and house of that. That was like their chosen family. It's a family that came together and it wasn't just about the competition and the dancing. It was actually taking care of each other. The houses would come together and they'd go to things called functions like balls, which came from the Harlem ballroom scene. And at these functions, you had categories where you walk face, you walk body. Like I said, someone from the actual scene can describe this far better. And there's documentaries out there. Paris is Burning is obviously an introduction, but there's so many other things out there. There's a documentary called Kiki. I'm reading a book right now called Butch Queens Up in Pumps. It's uh, about the ballroom scene in Detroit. And it's a little dated because I think it's talking more about stuff that happened in the 90s. But the way he describes the ballroom community is still relevant. Now you have the TV show called Pose, which is a great representation of this has also the largest transgender cast of actors and writers and everything behind the scenes. You have a TV show on HBO Max called Legendary, which is like a Vogue-style competition show, which I highly recommend because it shows visibility. It shows the humanness of everyone that everyone needs to acknowledge and see. But specifically, Old Way style, which I'm learning from Caesar, that style differs from the subsequent forms of New Way and Vogue Femme, where you're doing these like staccato formations of lines. You're being very precise. You're trying to be similar 
asymmetrical and you have influences from martial arts, breakdance, popping, what they call Egyptian hieroglyphics. I guess we would call maybe pharaonic dance, like you're trying to emulate hieroglyphic looking type movement. You're doing a pose on a beat of the music. And every pose is if you are taking a photograph in a photo shoot and you're doing this as a battle with somebody else. For the judges, you're trying to outdo that other person with your fabulousness, with your confidence while doing these very staccato, rigid, sometimes acrobatic poses and to do them really well. You can look up Cesar Valentino on YouTube and he explains things far better. I had fallen in love with this art form years ago and I never had the time to do it. I was too busy with other stuff. And then finally a class I had been taking had stopped and I got to go to Alvin Ailey because at that time when Serena Studios was still open, Alvin Ailey was right down the block. And I just walked down the block after my class and I started taking Vogue with Caesar and it changed my life. <laughs> it changed my life. Was that the full question? Or did you also say street jazz? It's also called jazz. As funk. I don't know how true this is, but one of my hip hop teachers, Antonio Jefferson, he said that East Coast calls it street jazz, West Coast calls it jazz funk, but it's the same thing. Uh, it's when you take jazz movement and you make a hybrid of it with hip hop styles. And it's often the stuff you see in the pop music dance industry. One of the big dance music videos to get that movement going was Rhythm Nation, uh, Janet Jackson's mm -hmm. Rhythm Nation. That is a great example of how dance choreography changed with music videos. I was co-choreographed by Anthony Thomas. And that's when you really started to see elements of jazz movement being combined with things with, like hip hop and that name called street jazz. And you see it a lot in music videos going forward from that point. Like Rhythm Nation really influenced a lot of Michael Jackson videos as well. Like Remember the Time. You know, all of that stuff later on changed. And now I think there's even a dance style, if you want to say, called commercial, where it's a dance style that's exclusively used for things like music videos or touring jobs. But yeah, street jazz generally is a mix between jazz and other styles of hip hop. Because hip hop is a very broad term. Like with any form of dance, like you can't just say belly dance and expect it means the same thing all over. We know that there's all these different styles based on regions and countries of origin and the evolutions of that. It's the same with any dance form, especially with hip hop, which made sense for me because I didn't realize it was street jazz. I was like, I like music videos. I'm going to teach myself Thriller and Rhythm Nation. And I didn't realize what it was. And it was something that I was naturally drawn to because I love the choreography from music videos. I'm heavily influenced by the choreography in music videos. And then obviously years later, I was like, oh, it's called street jazz or jazz funk. Okay. It has a name. Huh. Well, thanks. That just taught me a lot about some different genres. I unlisted in your bio and I was like, ooh. You have also taken workshops with Zoe Jakes and Rachel Bryce, who are two of my belly dance heroes. They're just so entertaining, such innovators. And you were also a member of Sarah Solstice's ensemble. And I've deeply admired her style for years as well. What are a couple of things that you've learned from them? So many things. So many workshops. So many classes from so many people. They've all been good. From Rachel, it's been a while since I've taken anything from her, which is a shame because I pay for Detora online every month. So Rachel, if you ever hear that, forget I just said that. But I took a lot of workshops from Rachel Bryce when I was a younger dancer because she's a very inspiring dancer to watch. And the way she interpreted movement was very influential for me. And I remember particularly with her 
how fluid she is in her body. And yes, she has a long torso and that's natural for her, but it was also how she maneuvered about it and how she broke it down and the choices that she made and the particular music choices that she made were very interesting and inspiring for me because I know she always was stressing the importance of cross training and especially with yoga and always talking about the importance of conditioning yourself and stretching and things like that. And from her specifically, I started to train with yoga more often. She really instilled that in me to have that cross training. Zoe, I've studied with a bit more often, mostly through the Tribal Massive Intensive in Vegas every year. This year was the first year I didn't go and I'm annoyed I didn't go because it was like the last dance event before the pandemic. Ah. <laughs> then everything else went canceled. I've been studying with Zoe fairly often, primarily through Massive and her ridiculously complicated isolation drills and patterns when your brain is like, ah, you know, you're trying to figure out, can your brain handle it? Can my body follow? The insane combinations that she does to keep you on your toes with that is always fun to do because you always have like these interesting paths of movement that maybe you didn't think about before that she introduced. Most of my teachers have done this as well. When they learn something new, that ends up getting passed on to us, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> because with Zoe, when she started doing the contortion stuff and she were like, oh no, we're not going to do that, are we? But she really learned things that were definitely helpful. Like not all of us are Ashley Lopez that we can freaking, you know, touch our head all the way to our butt all the way back. But she taught a lot of really great strength exercising, conditioning exercises, flexibility exercises. There was one workshop in particular that I took with Zoe that was an absolute game changer for me. It was at Tribal Fest in 2013. And there was a workshop she did with, I think it was her acting coach at the time, Dina Martinez. And it was called Belly Dance Theater 101. I believe that was the title of it. It was like a four-hour workshop in an afternoon. And we were doing exercises that actors do, like vocalizing out loud and screaming and making weird noises and making heavy breathing noises and making hisses and really using our faces and changing our postures to do whatever the prompt was. All things dancers are scared to do. Dancers are terrified of using their voice and vocalizing, terrified of making their voices heard or their breathing heard. I'm better at it now. But I used to be really comfortable public speaking. And then I was dancing for a while. And then I had to do a speech for something. And I was terrified again. I'm like, how did this happen? Why am I more comfortable dancing in front of people than speaking on a microphone? But we get afraid to use our voices. And we don't realize practicing that not just relaxes the body and reminds you to breathe and relaxes your face. So you have more facial expression and presence. But that was a real great experience for me in that class, because there was a big sense of play. Like once everybody realized we could all be silly and have fun and scream and act like absolute fools, then that's when the real experimentation and exploration began. And they were things that each of us were pulling out of nowhere that we didn't think that we could do. A really fast execution of ideas and getting prompts and literally thinking within a second, just doing the thing instead of overthinking it. And there was some really amazing art and work that was created that day. And it was a total light bulb moment for me taking that workshop. And it completely changed how I was approaching my work from then on. I don't think I ever told Zoe that. But that particular workshop really changed how I was approaching my work. And Sarah Solstice, what can I say other than I would not be at all who I am if it wasn't for her? I was training under her, dancing with her for a decade. It was through her that I really started exploring fusion dances and dancing to all different types of music, really finding my own voice and finding different ways of expressing that. Sarah was really a strong proponent of meditation 
and movement being healing and being spiritual and not just something for performance sake. It was something that you do for that internal self, always trying, how do we get that inner being that we all have inside? How do we get that inner spirit to come out externally? And how do we do that? Not just for ourselves, but if you want to perform it and learning how to become a better solo performer, how to become part of an ensemble, how we all moved as one, like our solstice hive, how we all moved as one organism. And she definitely taught me the importance of technique and rehearsing and my time with her and with solstice, I treasure very much. I would not be the artist I am without her. I'm getting a little emotional. And without that, and without that community. And she taught me not just how to do it, but the why to do it. Where's my clue? Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? Figs. Ooh. I love figs. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. And I think I love them more because they're seasonal and I can't really get them all the time. And I usually have to rely on someone's Italian neighbor who has it in their backyard. I love figs on pizza. This question had me remember this recipe that I wanted to try. I had a caramelized fig and onion pizza, like a flatbread. It was so good. It was caramelized figs and onions with peppers and goat cheese. It was phenomenal. I love grilled peaches too, right? When you just char that delicious sweetness. But I'll have figs with yogurt. I'll have it with cheese. I'll eat it. I'll eat them everywhere. But I absolutely love figs. Isn't it funny what fig newtons are? I mean, like I had a fig newton 20 years before i ever had a fig like how did that happen told me that when i was a kid as an insult i don't know how it was an insult but they said i was a filthy fig newton so you mean i taste delicious (laughs) that's hilarious figs good one good one You are an amateur SFX makeup artist, which is very cool. Your lipstick alone in the photo on the top of your website, brennadance.com, knocks me out. I have to get lip liner. I've never even gone down that road. And you have your very own costuming style that rarely involves Bedla, like we were talking about earlier. What is one costume tip that you'd like to share? I love Bedlas, by the way. Like, I'll never give them up. I love anything crystals, Swarovski. And, you know, I still enjoy performing American cabaret style Turkish style. So if I see a costume, I'll buy it. And there's some Egyptian style costumes that I absolutely die for. Like if it's over the top, like peacock level strutting, I'm going to probably buy it. I'm probably going to get it. But one thing in particular I will have to say is don't be afraid to make stuff yourself or design something yourself. You know, one of the things I did also learn about at Serena Studios is because dancers were doing this in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s. They had to make their own costumes. So I learned how to make my own costume. And that costume that I made will never see the light of it. And I'm better with accessories. But as I was saying before, I've always been inspired by video game characters and comic book characters. So I was drawing a lot of comic book characters when I was younger. I also drew a lot of dinosaurs because I wanted to be a paleontologist when I was a kid. And I drew a lot of monsters and dinosaurs and these kind of like half reptilian women and these kind of half women monster hybrid things, which explains a lot about me right now. Brennazilla. It was near and dear to me because I never had a Ken doll. I had Barbie and Godzilla. They were the couple. I'm very fortunate to have in my life Debbie Despina of D-Web Designs. She's awesome. I love her. She's not just my friend and a great friend at that. She's amazing at what she does and she makes great, great clothing for dancers and and honestly is overwhelmingly comfortable, which as I've gotten older, I'm like, I want to be comfortable. And Debbie, because she's an amazing dancer herself, she knows how to construct things where it looks good, it looks clean. You You don't need all these safety pins and things 
things like that because she constructs it in a way where it stays on. Because with the type of movement that I do, if I'm going down to the floor, if I'm rolling around, I want to make sure all the bits and pieces stay in. Because you know, listen, you charge more money for those types of shows. Right, right. You want it to be intentional. But there's been a few times, Debbie might be killing me for saying this out loud because she's very, very busy. But a few times I design my own costume. I'll draw it out and I kind of go back to what I used to do, like drawing my little costumes on my comic book characters and my monster ladies and all of that. And I'll draw that costume that I want because it's the vision that I have for a type of music that I want to use or a type of piece that I'm going to be performing to in the future. And I bring Debbie the sketch and because she knows what she's talking about, she can let me know realistically what can and can be done based on my design that I made. So I'm very lucky to have someone that I can make a design and bring Bring it to her and she makes it happen and it far exceeds anything that I could ever imagine. So if you have anyone like that, or you could just send all your business to Debbie and say, Brenna sent you. <laughs> if you have anything like that, wherever you're living, if there's someone that you know that makes costuming, collaborate with them. Chances are they're going to be excited to do it. It may end up being a new design for them in their line at some point or something inspired by that. And then you have a costume that nobody else has. Go out there, support your costume designers and makers that you have in your communities. Feel free and design something or give them an idea and give them business because we all got to be helping each other out, especially now. I mean, like I said, we can have costumes now in our living rooms. That's fine. (laughs) We could do that now. But yeah, make sure what you're wearing makes sense like music wise and style wise you know don't wear something that if you're going to be doing somersaults on the floor is going to come off make it make sense to the type of style or music that you're doing this is my own personal opinion i've seen things where someone's dressing a particular way and it's pretty pretty costume and then they're coming out and they're trying to be like a harbinger of death there's this weird kind of disconnect to it but that's their own choice but you know be willing to experiment and try different pieces of costuming especially if you're doing character pieces I'm also a huge sucker for trying to be things authentic as I can. Like I won't wear a bedla if I'm doing the Terminator. If I've done a dance piece dressed as the Terminator, I'm going to come out in that sort of costume. I put the appliance on my face. I get the leather jacket. I get a studded bra. I get a belt that has like bullets on it. You know, don't be afraid to explore and experiment with costume and support your local costume. Nice. Nice. Feel good. Look good habit. Do you have a feel good, look good habit that you want to share? Oh, yes, I do. It started from taking class with Caesar. Uh, Caesar is an amazing teacher. I highly recommend his class. He's all about inclusivity and empowerment. And from taking his classes, I've developed this habit. Part of Vogue is also runway. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I had fantasies of being a fashion runway model. And I would watch the Victoria's Secret fashion shows because I liked the wings. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. But I'm 5'2". I'm not as thin as these women. I am not these Brazilian goddesses. I am not these women. I will never have this. I will never do it. And part of ballroom and one of the categories that does go along with Vogue dancing is runway walk. And in old way, we go over runway exercises. You're emulating like the models from the 80s and 90s, you know, like the supermodel era, Cindy Crawford, Iman, Naomi Campbell. It became more about the supermodel than about the clothes. A great example is the Mugler fashion shows. The Mugler fashion shows, you want to talk about over-the-top fabulous? Watch the Mugler fashion shows. You won't be able to handle it. I guarantee you're going to have to lay down. Like, How do you oh, spell that? M-U-G-L-E-R. The presentation is ridiculous. But in Vogue, you learn how to do a runway walk as a runway model, but then it becomes more exaggerated 
because it becomes a competition because you're battling against someone to outdo them, right? Because runway is a category as well. I didn't really think about it when I started taking this class of how difficult it was for me to do the runway walk. I used to be one of those people that said, oh, how hard is it for a model to walk up and down the runway? All they have to do is walk. Oh no, there's a technique. There's a technique to it with how you walk in those shoes and the posture and everything. That's a whole art form. I never knock that stuff ever again. All of us taking the class and we all have stilettos on, which I know some people feel a certain way about high heel shoes. Some people think they're oppressive. Some people think they're empowering. I love a good pair of Swarovski encrusted shoes. I'm not going to lie. I feel great just having the shoes on, but when we were standing up tall and we would do the runway walk. So we're walking hips forward, shoulders rolled back, standing up nice and tall. And you're looking at your reflection in the mirror. Or if you're battling, you're making eye contact with the person that you're battling. And you have to walk with this brazen, genuine confidence. You have to outshine everybody else. You have to be competitive in your confidence because the job of the model is to sell the clothing. You have to walk with such confidence that anyone will buy whatever you're wearing, even if it's a garbage bag. And I didn't realize how emotional it was for me to practice that when I started. And I think especially in my experience in being a woman, spent a lot of my time with my head looking down and trying to get to point A and to point B. And you're going from place to place to place and you have everything in your mind and you're kind of phasing out and you try to block out the cat calling you try to block out all the stupid crap that's being screamed at you from people out on the street and you're you're stressed out about things and I don't know about you but I'm always carrying at least two bags on me all the time so I have a literal physical weight on me on top of all the emotional baggage that I have on and I've been always looking down so the physical act of standing up straight with my chin held up high with pride was a lot more emotional work than I thought it was going to be when I started. And training in that every week, and I'm still you know, doing this with him even though I'm in my apartment, doing that runway walk every time, standing in confidence, owning my space, owning my body, how it is now, at my age, at my weight, I'm short, I've gained weight, whatever. I'm still amazing. I'm still fabulous. And you all can't handle it. Like that is the feeling that you have to have. And when I started doing this, it changed my life. It changed the way I danced. It changed the way I was walking down the street. It changed my interactions with people. I had more confidence in my decisions. I felt more grounded and I felt more comfortable in my body and in my skin. It came from lifting my head up and doing that runway walk every week and having those stilettos on to that music and you're there with all your friends and you're dancing, you feel fabulous. You're going to carry that with you to wherever you go. That confidence that you can build within yourself, that you grow, because no one else can pull that out of you. Caesar says this all the time, we're often our worst critics. We're our own worst critics. I've had issues with this before. I know a lot of people have a hard time looking at themselves in the mirror for a long time and keeping that prolonged eye contact with themselves, not even somebody else, with themselves. So facing myself every time when I do that runway walk and I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my reflection, I'm like, I look good. Look at those cheekbones. Look at that. It doesn't happen overnight. Self-love and self-acceptance is a process. It's a lifelong process. But for me, it's something I do now. Even if I'm walking around my block, that sidewalk is my runway. When my favorite songs comes on, watch out because now this is my runway. So that exercise of that 
posture and holding my head up and keeping my head up the whole time, walking with the shoulders back, that carefree, unabashed confidence. Life-changing. It was absolutely life-changing. Oh, I got to practice my runway walk. It's amazing. When I first started doing this, I'm like, oh, runway's fun. Yay, I get to do this. But when I got to feel the internal struggle that I was having with myself, I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize how difficult it is for me to walk with my head held up high. Hmm. I didn't realize how I've been walking with my face down for so long. It was so foreign to me to walk with my chin up. I mean, not all the way up, but you know what I'm saying? Like you're held up with confidence, making eye contact with people, not staring down on the ground to block it out because you're just trying to get to where you have to get to. Oh, feel good habit. Mm. Feel good, look good habit. Do your runway walk. Yes. That's great. It has been so much fun to talk to you and hear your insight, especially on all these other dance forms too. And just thinking about New York City. Yeah, I think New York is its own special place. Yeah. There's a reason why everybody wants to come here. Well, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the podcast, Brenna. And we look forward to seeing all of the amazing, wild and wacky and wacky things that you create in the future too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, Brenna, that was awesome. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helps you feel a little lighter.